Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner. I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Martin Edgerman, a filmmaker whose short films Hole and Emma announced him as a storyteller with an especially compassionate eye. His debut feature, Islands, confirms it. A drama starring Rogelio Balactas as Joshua, a middle-aged man who's spent his entire life living with his parents, never developing any relations of his own, whose world is rocked when a cousin comes to visit from overseas, making Joshua suddenly aware of all the things he's missed out on. Balactas won a special jury prize for his exceptional performance when Idlins premiered at South by Southwest last spring, and now the film is getting a theatrical run in Toronto at the Tiff Bell Lightbox tonight, Tuesday, April 12th, through Thursday, April 14th. It's very good, and you should see it. Martin Cho's Secret Sunshine, Lee Changdong's 2007 drama about another lost soul, Shinai, played by Jian Do-young. Recently widowed, Shinai has moved with her young son Jun to her husband's birthplace, the small town of Muryang, to open a piano school and build a house. But things don't go as planned, and before long, Shinai is carrying the weight of another, even more horrible loss, taking refuge in Christianity while rebuffing the attempts at friendship offered by a local mechanic named Mr. Kim, played by maximum affability by Song Kang-ho. The film won Jian the prize for Best Actress at Cannes and prefigures the intense, empathetic focus Lee would bring to his subsequent features Poetry and Burning, and it affected Martin very powerfully. He'll tell you how. This is someone else's movie. It's a movie I think a lot about, and it's a film that I feel like nobody has seen. Like, people I talk to, um, whenever I bring it up, like, Albert Shin, who you probably know, a Toronto filmmaker, he's the only other person that when I brought it up, he's like, yeah, of course I've seen it. But nobody else knows this movie. I don't know why. Hmm. Um, I actually stumbled on it. Uh, I was at the library years ago and, you know, that's where I would take out DVDs. And I saw this cover. It looked cool. It was Criterion. I had no expectations and I was blown away. I actually just read the other day that it was the first Korean Criterion film yeah it probably was that would have been 2011 yeah um i can't think of another their 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 asian representation or asian cinema representation has been thin or had been i mean they had Mm -hmm. um i remember i had a laser disc of the makioka sisters that's probably the only well in the kurosawas of course they've always they've always had a a good line on that through janice but yeah korea and china have been underrepresented considerably yeah um, over the years and they've they've started to make that better i think in some cases too it's just a question of access they couldn't do burning because welgo had the Mm. rights and welgo just doesn't do a partnership with criterion ever yeah and the other thing about secret sunshine too is it was weirdly underrepresented in North America, right? It was at Cannes in yeah. 2007, but it didn't open in the States until 2010. Yeah. Having having not seen it for about 10 years, I went back and rewatched it last night. And it's, yeah. especially in the wake of Burning, um, it's remarkable just how specific Lee's cinema is, how it, mm-hmm. it really feels completely of a piece uh, with Burning and with poetry. They're, they're all about people dealing with the inexplicable in their lives, just on different, on different levels, but to come to this cold and not oh, that must've been incredible. It was, it was so moving. I mean, the, the lead actress, I mean, both of the leads, their, their performances blew me away. And what's funny is like, what I remember most about this movie is, I mean, obviously the protagonist 
tragedy. Like it's so tragic. Um, but then also the Song Kong Ho's character um, is just so funny. Um, and then when I also rewatched it a few days ago, and I forget about the the religious commentary. I mean, Lee Chang Dong says that he wasn't really trying to comment on religion, but I would argue that I think it does make a commentary on religion. Um, but it's it's the balance of the 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 comedy and the tragedy that I appreciate so much in this movie, and I can't recall another movie that does the extremes so well in one piece. Yeah, I had not remembered quite how balanced it is. I my my core memory of it is just the the sheer devastation, the way that you mm. you're sort of trapped with someone going through what she thinks is the worst time of her life and then discovering that she had no idea what was coming and and mm. we can talk about the the plot if you want to. I mean, it's a it's a 15-year-old movie at this point, but um it's it's remarkable just how light some of it is. That yeah, mm. that the song is he's just so he's so awkward and present and happy and chipper and all of his all of his function within the the film as a character, Mr. Kim is there to make us feel better the same way he's there to make her feel better. We just figure it out sooner. Mm. Shinai is broken you know just flailing and desperate for anything to make her life make sense and she goes from skeptic to believer and back to skeptic again and and you're just watching someone be hollowed out with like a grapefruit spoon mm. for two and a half hours it's excruciating and it would be unbearable and and yeah lee says this is in one of the interviews on the blu-ray um if it wasn't for mr kim you would not be able to watch this movie and yeah then I realized watching it last night, it's almost a two-hander. Like mm-hmm. I, I remember, um, yeah. I so vividly remember Jian Do Yun, and I had even when his name showed up in the credits, it's like, oh, that's right, he's in this. And then suddenly, just to see how much space he occupies and how much work he's putting in to make it okay to to see hope when there isn't any in the film. Um, and mm. the, the bleakness of the vision of the movie would just be, it would be unwatchable without him. Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm also a fan of Michael Haneke. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like this movie without Mr. Kim. Um, but yeah, like Mr. Kim, actually, anytime I see him, you know, you see him in Bong Joon-ho's movies and, and he's always Mr. Kim to me because of <laughs> Secret Sunshine. Okay. I think I first noticed him really in... Um, I think the host, I'd, I'd seen mm. him around. I mean, I know I'd seen him in other things, but it wasn't until the host that he sort of came into focus as, as someone who, as it turns out, is is completely unlike him, uh, yeah. unlike the actor at all. He's you know, just slow and kind of slow and sad, which are not things that I would put on that actor at all. He's, he's right. such a lively presence. And here as well, where he's just... Uh, the, there's the little throwaway moments where in the garage where he's just sort of casually joining in on the sexual harassment of of their coworker and it's good natured from him in some strange way like he's not trying to break it up or deflect it he's just he's making it a little less awful it's it's yeah. though his presence is there to just buoy up the space yeah and you almost feel like he's someone that just he wants to be liked and so he kind of just goes with whatever everybody else is doing and um 
yeah and he's as you said he's just like really sweet and innocent and you know you kind of just accept it and and you know that he's just he's a guy that can't really stand up for himself i mean he stands up for himself once in the movie he's better yeah he's better when he's standing up for other people i think like that's that's his function is to just be um be helpful and i've known people like that and there's always a little air of it's not sadness exactly, but it feels like they're doing it because there's something missing because mm. they're, they're trying just a little too hard to connect. It's not a bad thing. It is the best possible impulse in the world is I think to connect to another human being, but he finds that glimmer of awkwardness, the sense that he knows it's yeah. not working hundred percent of the time. And he just yeah. doesn't know how to correct that. Right. He has mm. this, he has the structuring absence of, of social confidence. Yeah, yeah. And given that the character is paired with someone who is a black hole emotionally, mm-hmm. like she doesn't mm-hmm. draw him in, which I find really fascinating. He's pulled to her, but she doesn't want him near her because by that point in the film, she's just decided that she needs to do everything herself. And then that includes carrying this this horrific weight of suffering. Yeah. Well, and what I mean, what Lee does so well is like, we also see that she does need him. You know, I mean, we eventually see that she needed, she's, he's all that she has really. Yeah. No, Shinai is alone before the movie starts. Yeah. Even though she's got a son, um, she's, we meet her alone in the car. We meet her alone outside the car, rather isolated, calling people. Um, And she just, she has an anchor, but, as soon as that is taken away from her, there's nothing. She hasn't, she's, she's, we find out that she up and left her family to get married. She hasn't had much contact with them. Her brother doesn't seem to respect her for anything mm-hmm. like her choices or the, the life she's built for herself. And she seems like a fairly decent person from everything we see. So whatever's going on in the family, I, I love that it's never resolved. It's just simply there mm-hmm. yeah. uh, because that's how you meet people. They're in the middle of their lives. They're not, they don't come with a backstory that they immediately relate to everybody. And the fact that she's so closed off after, after Jun goes missing, even before she is in the worst pain, even before she reaches her absolute nadir, um, nadir, I never know how to pronounce that word. Um, she is refusing all entreaties of, of help, of companionship. Mm-hmm. She's offering advice where it's not wanted. She's like, her social skills aren't great either, Mm. but she's fine with her son. She's good as a mother. It's all she has, right? That's her identity. She's going to mentor children as a piano teacher. And then when those things are taken away from her, she just, she ceases to function. Mm. And we're only an hour into this film. I, I just, I, I glanced at the running time this time and it's exactly halfway through when she goes to the revival meeting. It's one hour, 11 minutes into two hours and 22. And it's the point where things in any conventional story would get better, but they don't. Right. Right. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of things I appreciate about this movie like that, that it's weird because I, I feel like overall the structure of the storytelling is traditional like it's a three-act film yeah yeah. but like you don't know what to expect like I remember when I first watched it and even watching it again I thought it it feels like a murder mystery 
but then it's like, oh, right away they find June. And then you're like, where's this going now? Yeah. Like crime solved. His body is discovered. The killer is revealed and sentenced and imprisoned yeah. within no time at all, really. I mean, I think yeah. he goes missing in maybe 45 minutes and is found yeah. 10 minutes later. And, and it just leapfrogs over all the things that you would expect from this story. Mm-hmm. But I think it works brilliantly because we're trapped with someone whose life is just shattered. And so it doesn't matter how much time goes by. She's no better. She's not recovering and she's not processing. Mm -hmm. Um, And her attempt to forgive is short-circuited. And that is for all of the acting that goes on in the film and for all of the incredible um, singular performance that we get from, from Jun Do-yeon, that scene I think is like, you can watch her deflate and get angry and all of it is in her like it's in her eyes and her jaw and and it's so horrible and it's the only time that there's an extreme emotional moment that we see her head on for everything else not everything else but for almost everything else all the major moments she's got her back to us or she's crouching away mm. from us and it's as though the camera can't bear to look at her um right. th- at the very end there's the close-up on her face of course that that sells yeah. everything yeah. but I was really struck by just how willing uh, Lee Chang Dong has always been to hold on his actors and let them do the sell. Like it's not, uh, the technique is important, but the script has got us here and they just have to carry this 90 seconds. And every single time in every movie he makes, it comes through. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And that, so you're talking about the prison scene, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. That both times watching it like it really really gets to me and you know i think we all know that moment where you're trying to be the bigger person and when it backfires like that like i don't know the yeah the performance i mean just the confrontation right at that prison window it was like so understated and but so powerful like i felt i i probably looked like her as it was happening <laughs> yeah yeah. Well, and, and it's a person as well. The, the problem is that, you know, her child's killer is using the same language she's been using about mm. accepting God into her, his heart and finding forgiveness and absolution and, and being born again. And mm. we just watched her go through all of this and it sends her spiraling as it should, of, of course, but we're allowed to sort of breathe it in and and see how it can be interpreted as, I mean, it reads to me as hypocrisy. It just feels to me like this guy's found a dodge that works for him. Uh, The same way he could rationalize whatever it was that he did that that ended up with a dead child. Like he's just, this is the way he gets through this. Um, And maybe it's the mirroring, the fact that that is how she's getting through this horrible tragedy as well. Uh But maybe it's the larger cynicism that she displayed earlier coming back and having it thrown in her face about how, you know, I don't believe in anything I can't see. And why would I, why would I invest in a God that allows for this level of suffering? Well, she just did, that didn't work. This is happening. And now she has to rationalize that. And it's a fundamentally irrational proposition. Mm -hmm. The idea that any of this is someone else's will that, that there's a purpose and and yet somehow the movie allows us to hope that maybe there is redemption 
that maybe something mm-hmm. can be solved. You're watching someone just spiral down to the lowest possible place naturally because all, all films are empathy. We want to see her get out. Yeah. Yeah. What were you thinking the first time you thought when she decided that she wanted to forgive him where like, did it sound like, you know, wow, this, this woman is doing a great thing or, or were you shaking your head? It felt like something that a new convert would do. Like someone who's right. embracing all the tenants would want to do the things that everyone else says you're supposed to do. Right. Um, I wasn't sure if I believed it, but mm-hmm. you know, in the, in as much as she was going through the motions earlier of, of just living in the world after all of this was taken away from her. And, and I could see how someone desperate for meaning would want to do everything to make that happen. Right. Um, and then when he beats her to it effectively, you can see it all fall away. Like you can just see how she gives up. And then it didn't, it's funny. It wasn't until this viewing that I understood what uh, that moment where she's, she's looking upward and just saying, can you see, it didn't really hit me until this time that she was talking to God, or at least trying Mm -hmm. to, um, that she still believes in some strange way, but now she's acting in defiance and, and exercising her free will the way her son's murderer did that you know you can believe in god and still do terrible things and that 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 examination of what place morality has in mm. a world with god where awful things happen that's that seems to be the the point of the film now to me it's like mm-hmm. what decisions do you make when you are still convinced you're being judged yeah yeah and and that's why i mean even when you brought up um what religion does for this you know the killer um, the, on this watching, I also kind of saw it through the, the critique that Lee Chang Dong says he's not making about religion, but, you know, I was also curious, is this part of that? And I'm so curious to know if, if he really wasn't trying to make a commentary or he just doesn't want to have that out there and get attacked for it. I wonder, right? I mean, religion doesn't factor too heavily into his other films. Um, No. And burning seems to come down pretty hard on the side of the morality that works for you is the morality in the moment. Mm -hmm. But only if the killer in burning is the killer. And if he's not, then it's a film about someone who has absolutely invested himself in the wrong faith and the wrong, like he's, he's acting on faith rather than, proof and conviction and the ambiguity in that is incredible the ambiguity here is what happens next not is something right or wrong and it's yeah you mentioned haneke i thought of von trier too i thought of breaking the way specifically right yeah we're watching the scourging of a future saint but she's not a saint yet and she's just going through the trials and it's it's just so painful meanwhile here's mr kim who may actually be a saint just doing everything he like even before he starts going to church he's acting more or less in a christian fashion he's offering right. help he's connecting people he's he's committing fellow or he's performing fellowship and doing all the things that are pretty new testamenty mm. without ever putting a name to it and then even once he starts going to church and participating in services he kind of laughs it off but tells someone at the very end it's like oh you know i miss it if i don't go but I think he doesn't need the church. He is the church in a weird way. He's doing all the things that the Christians purport or profess to be doing. Yeah. I haven't thought of it in that way. 
No, that's a great observation. It's just a strange parallel, isn't it? It's sort of floating there. Um, the, certainly the film never makes it concrete. Although at the very end, the thing he does is hold up a mirror to someone who desperately needs to see herself. And that's sort yeah. of God. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Well, and also, you know, opening the film with the sky and ending on the dirt. I, I, I mean, I, to me, it's, it's very obvious what that says. Yeah. Especially on the second view. Yeah. And the shaft of sunlight playing where it plays. Mm-hmm. It's the bells at the end of breaking the waves. I think that's the other reason I kept thinking right. about it is that there's, that's as concrete a statement as you can make in that yeah. film. And here it's just quietly, beautifully coming back to something that one of the least helpful people said ultimately, but turns out that person seems to have been right. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful. I mean, it really, so many movies end on quiet contemplation and it's fine. And this one is nothing happens, but it's absolutely shattering. It's just, it's so beautiful that you want to cry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you come across anything about uh, Lee Chang Dong's leads hating him? No. Uh, just generally speaking, or in this in this film? Yeah, actually, everyone except I, I don't know her name, but the the lead in poetry. He said they had a very sweet relationship, but he admits that all of his leads, especially um, John Doyun, like absolutely hated him. And he used that, you know, he would tell her, you're angry at God, but look at me and direct <laughs> the anger you feel at me. And, and he specifically talks about the moment after the prison where she just looks deflated that he told her, look at me. And, and that's where, apparently that's where it came from. Oh my God. That's horrible. Um, it's kind of horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a feature at, on the Blu-ray where um, Song Kang-ho and, and Lee Chang-dong are just hanging out and, and having a great time. And then it immediately rolls into an entire, it's this little six minute video uh, shot. It's just interviews with, with uh, Jeon and, and, and Song. And she says, there was a day where they had to shut production down because she couldn't figure it out. She couldn't get the character. Mm. And then immediately they show footage of that. And Lee Chang Dong seems to be very supportive. He said, we're not getting it. This is a bad day. Let's just stop and pick it up tomorrow. But there's the sense that he's supporting her and and I didn't get any of that energy. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, when I read it, I was a little bit surprised and it doesn't sound like you know, the, the kind of thing that you hear about Lars von Trier and what he puts his actress through. So I'm just curious uh, what, what the problems actually were, um, but I haven't come across anything more. Yeah. Maybe it's, it's, just, it's, it's him himself saying it. Yeah. So maybe it's just a, a deliberate standoffishness to get the actors to the place they need. That seems awful too. I mean, you're yeah, a filmmaker. You don't do that to people. I would never know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's an old school thing. I mean, he is, he started late to directing, right? He was a novelist before he started making movies. And I wonder if that mentality where, you know, as a novelist, you can torture your characters pretty much (laughs) on your, without any, um, without any consequence, right? I mean, you're just putting people through the ringer and then you, you just type them. You're not actually interacting with flesh and blood people. Um, that maybe that extends to the way he directs. I don't know. That's fascinating. I'd love to talk to Stephen Yun about it because mm. he'd have a completely different perspective. 
I, yeah, it, it might be different. I mean, the, you know, this, he was already a star at that point. Mm-hmm. So it's probably a different well, relationship. True. Yeah. I'm just thinking that coming from mostly American productions into Korean cinema would be like a bit of a, a bit of a shift, a tonal shift. I mean, I know that directors are revered uh, mm. in Korean cinema to the point where they're you know, like director Bong and director Lee. And that's just how people they're honorifics rather than job titles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny. It's the same in the Philippines too. Oh really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out how to, how to link this to islands without going directly into you make films about despairing people, but, but it is like, there is a, there is a sort of a resonance to, to islands in that it's a movie about someone who is at the end of his rope, but doesn't understand it. And then has discovers that there's more rope, but it's not any better. Did secret sunshine factor in, or are you thinking about it? Or is it just, Lonely desperation as a as a narrative isn't exclusive to that film, but it is sort of strangely knotted up in family and isolation and 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 loneliness and longing in a way that seems to ring with me. Yeah, it, it's a theme that has appeared in all of my narrative work, like my two shorts before this too, and it was not deliberate. I, I think I've only realized that this with the making of violence that. Um, I, I guess loneliness is my jam <laughs> and, um, and, you know, my first short film whole was about a middle-aged actor who's, or character who's also, you know, longing for love or, or physical interaction. I wasn't thinking about Secret Sunshine, but having rewatched it, you know, there, there are some interesting parallels. Um, like I know it did come to mind in like, you know, I said earlier, the, the balance of tragedy and comedy. And um, as I was developing islands at some point, it, it, it didn't always have these, you know, funnier, lighter moments. And I started to try to be playful with it, but I wasn't really thinking about trying to balance the tragedy. It just, for whatever reason, it felt like the right thing to do. I can sort of Um, see that. Yeah. I mean, without, yeah, just without the lighter human stuff, not even human stuff, even the despair is human stuff, but without the lightness, it really is just dark. There's no reason for the audience to invest if it's just empty misery, which is actually one of the things I I have against the, the Haneke film that parallels the closest to this, which is the piano teacher to me, to to Mm. Secret Sunshine. Because they're both about self-destructive characters who don't think they're self-destructive. But right. Haneke is, is just pushing Isabelle Luper to go even further. Whereas this is about a character who is slowly being brought forward into the light, as opposed to just this, this downward slope that has no, no off-ramp and also no reason to stay on it for the audience. I just I remember thinking, well, I know exactly what's going to happen next. Someone else is going to be unhappy. And then someone else again. And Secret Sunshine just doesn't do that. It's the same person mm-hmm. and it's the world around her that's offering her chan- chances to break free. And we have to see that she doesn't see them. So the movie is smart enough. The emotional intelligence is there. And in Islands, the levity comes from places that it organically finds within that world, right? There's no, there's no friendly stranger who shows up with a, with a 
a jukebox or, or a karaoke machine to, to make everybody happy for five minutes and then leave. Everything that happens in Islands happens because of the trajectory the character is on, similar to Secret Sunshine. It's, it's, it's all about seeing opportunity or, being, or learning how to see opportunity, I, I would say. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And um, I guess, I mean, there, there, there are similarities, I think, with, with Song and, and Joshua in that they're both these sort of like innocent, lonely men. But whereas in Secret Sunshine, he's a little bit of a, a bit of a fool, maybe. Yeah. Um, and we're not, I think we laugh at him a lot more than we would Joshua and Islands where you, you kind of, um, you know, I, I didn't want him to be like a sad, I didn't want it to be like the sad middle-aged guy kind of story. It's just sort of a, someone that's never had the opportunity to grow or mature. And it's not, it's not because of, you know, his, I mean, maybe it's his shyness a little bit, but it's also just something cultural when you live with your parents. If you're in a culture where you don't leave the house until you're married and your mother does everything for you and won't even let you do these things because she wants to do it for you. So, like, it's not his fault that he's the way that he is. Yeah, Joshua's mom, she was the locus of the family, right? She made everything possible in the moment she's gone. You have two people who've never really thought about who they are to each other without her. And yeah, his shyness is absolutely part of it, but you're right. He's never been encouraged to get past it. He's never had to. And so mm-hmm. I guess the difference between Joshua and Mr. Kim is that Joshua is the, is the centerpiece. He's the lead of your right. film. So his, his pathos is, is much more profound to us because we're following, he's like, he's almost in every shot. We, we follow this character yeah. constantly and, and we see how desperately he wants to not be who he is, which is so tragic, um, mm. but also gives us a rooting interest, right? Like we want him to not be who he is. We want him to be himself, but happier, which is yeah. the same thing that's going on um, with Shinai in, uh, in Secret Sunshine is that we see the potential that she's refusing to, embrace joshua maybe doesn't have quite so much going for him at the outset he doesn't have the resources that she has he doesn't have um the 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 friend group i guess you'd say that that Mm -hmm. she eventually builds but he's capable of all of it and he just has to realize he wants it badly enough right like it's a it's a hero's journey in a really strange way and that we just want him to leave the house yeah well, I have I have a funny question for you. Sure. With with both of the the two characters in both films, how did you feel about both relationships? So, like you know, for Islands, were you thinking, Joshua, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, you're related, or were you like, you know, maybe why not? <laughs> and, oh, and and I mean... the same in the other movie. Like, did did you think, you know, Mr. Kim, stop, or you know, maybe you guys can grow together? I will say the first time I was on her side uh, in Secret Sunshine, it's like, she doesn't want you leave her alone. And it's the scene where he forces himself into the cab and she immediately kicks him out where, and which is again, halfway through the film. Um, And it's the, it's that absolute refusal to accept his help, but also the film's understanding that he's not offering it the way she needs it. Right. Like the, the, Mm. the classic, um, Empathy, uh, the classic rule of empathy is 
this thing that we've all sort of learned recently um, in a crisis, when someone displays themselves to be needing help, it's not up to us on the outside to impose our idea of help. You're supposed right. to say, how can I help? What do you need? What can I do? Not, this is what I'm going to do for you. And yeah. Mr. Kim isn't there yet. He just, he really only wants to do what he wants to do, which is be with this woman and help her and be with this woman comes first. And it isn't until the second thing happens and it's after the prison where he starts listening to her and trying to help her the way she mm. wants to be helped that things start to make sense for, for the two of them as a couple. I caught that much more easily the second time through because Song Kang-ho is so good at showing us that change, that little pivot in the, like he, he tries to assault the man who murdered her son because that's what he should do in the moment, but she doesn't want that. She can't even process it. It makes her feel yeah. even more inadequate, right? She actually says so later, yeah. but he doesn't hear it. He doesn't see it. He can't read her, but he wants to be with her. So he just keeps following her around. And it isn't until he starts listening that he's better for it. And their relationship has any kind of chance. And it's when he stops touching her, I think. It's when he stops pushing her and steering her uh, and starts taking her actual wants and needs into consideration to the point where when he shows up at the end to hold the mirror for her, it's passive, it's silent. He's not trying to cut her hair for her. He's just right. there with her. And the Joshua situation in Islands, I think it's okay that they're cousins because they're both kind of into it. Right. I mean, it feels like, I have to admit, part of it was my brain going, well, is this a cultural thing? Should I stay out of it and let, and just let okay. it develop? I don't, you know, I don't know. And then I realized that's sort of condescending on my end. And it's just about sympathy, right? Not just empathy, but actual sympathy between the two of them, that they understand each other better than anyone else can. Mm. And if they want to be together, there's really nothing wrong with it. It's, it doesn't, it didn't feel, you know, weird and incestuous in family to me, especially because they've spent so much time apart that they might as well be strangers. Right. But it was really more about watching someone see himself in someone else and be understood, mm -hmm. which is, it's both romantic and platonic, right? Like the, yeah. that, that moment when it happens is it's just connection. And if that happens, then then whatever happens after that is probably worth pursuing. Right. You know, as long, yeah, as, no. as, long as it's consensual and everything is, is you know, genetically above board. It, it is kind of, a weird, <laughs> yeah. the cousin thing is a bit strange when you, when you lay it out, but it also feels like it's, um, even if it doesn't last, even if it's, you know, potentially wrong, it's a way of learning about, himself for Joshua. And it's, it's, it's not like he's taking advantage of her yeah. in, doing, in doing so. I mean, I think like when I was writing it, I, I kind of felt like, yeah, they don't know each other. They're practically strangers. And um, I think it would be, it wouldn't be crazy that two people like that would develop feelings. Um, sure. You know, maybe you would know better than to act on it, but I mean, who's to say, <laughs> and there are, there are cousins that marry. Sure. And I also, I do get a lot of questions of, you know, because, you know, in Filipino culture, everyone's kind of your cousin. So it's yeah. like, are they really related? Are they first cousins or second or like? Well, that's what I was, that's what I was wondering because the, you know, the honorific uncle gets thrown around a lot too. Right. So it doesn't, and, yeah. and, and auntie, it doesn't seem to be directly based on 
parents who were siblings, but it also feels as though if there was something wrong with it, she would say so. Like she's mm. far more emotionally developed than he is. And, and it's, I think that was what made it okay for me not to worry about it. It was just the sense that this movie isn't playing it. Like the movie seems to feel that it's, it's fine for them to connect. And she's written well enough that if there was an objection, she would voice it. Right. Yeah. So I just rolled with it. <laughs> Tried not to be a colonizer <laughs> and let the movie tell me what the movie did. <laughs> That's great. It's a, it's dicey potentially, right? I mean, it, it, if you do get an audience, do you, have you had that happen? Have you had an audience really reject it when that, when that moment comes? No, I mean, I've had, I had more friends or peers that are like, yeah, that, that's kind of weird, but I, I don't think it really put anybody off. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned. And maybe post- if it had gone further. Yeah. Which again, I don't want to get into the ending there or the, the way things are left, the characters. Yeah. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but it is such a, yeah. Any movie that deals with that level of emotion that, that tries to be honest about how devastating it is to reach out before you know if it's going to be reciprocated, mm-hmm. like that's going to be that that's so potent as a storytelling device. And so many times I've just seen, you know, movies with it where it's just, you know, the music comes up and that does the selling and, and mm-hmm. films where it really does hang on the actors and, and the silence is the awkward, uncomfortable moment before you, you get a yes or a no. Those are, those are some of the greatest dramatic tensions you can experience mm. i love that stuff um, yeah i mean we all we all know that feeling yeah but it's too personal and intimate to put on film right most most of the time the last thing you want to do is show someone being that vulnerable yeah and yeah. and when it pays off yeah it's it feels like the whole world is opening up mm-hmm. if you if you get it right right in life yeah. as well as in film i mean <laughs> It's that ineffable thing that movies almost never dare to address because filmmakers, I think, sometimes don't know that they can pull it off. Actors are afraid of looking silly. There there are all these stumbling blocks set up for something like that, where you're just stripping a movie down to two people trying to figure out if they're going to be together or not. And Mm. it's weird that Secret Sunshine kind of plays in the same space when that's not what it's about at all, but it has room for it. Like it has room for this feature length question about whether these two people even belong together and it leaves it unanswered, which I think is wonderful. But mm-hmm. you know, the entire thing is about watching Mr. Kim prove himself worthy if that's what you're watching the movie for. But it's also about a woman who endures the worst experiences of her life and then will forever associate this man with them. Like right. Even if they're even if they get together, he'll always be a reminder of the time she lost her son and the times she tried to end her own life, and just and all of it. It's all tangled up. I mean, it's again like her first impulse when she gets that phone call is to go run to him and and for help. She reaches to him, and then never tells him. Yeah, which is so powerful in its own way that there's all this stuff going on in her life that she doesn't burden him with even though he keeps telling her he wants to help it's this it's not even the focus of the film but it but in retrospect it just becomes such a clear through line that that he built for those characters I, i just find that absolutely amazing in the in the structuring of it how do you know when you write something like this that that's what the story that 
the story you're not telling will become the most important story. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, while you bring that scene up, it, it's one of my favorites. She's running to him for help and he's singing away. Oblivious karaoke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Um, you know, I, I think to be honest, like I, I, I know those situations so well and, and I've many times have expressed feelings for people where, you know, you become good friends and you think there's something going on and you realize, you know, oh no, it was, we weren't just friends. And, and then when you think in hindsight, you're like, oh yeah, you know, it it becomes very obvious. And then, you know, when you do fall in love, then, and then looking back on all those other, you know, you know, when you, when I've admitted feelings, you're like, oh, it's actually so easy. Like it's very obvious when there's something happening. Yeah. But until you have that experience, right. Everything else feels fraught and we only have the movie versions of things or the, the, you know, the three minute rock song version of thing to, to relate them to until it actually happens. And it's, it's really, it's hard to, well, it's like Mr. Kim, it's hard to separate what you think you should do from what you naturally want to do. Mm. And, and when it works, it just works. It is just effortless. It's like, you know, finding a new friend, it just keeps going. Um, And it's, it's so hard to explain. And it also makes you sound like an idiot because it's so hard (laughs) to explain, right? Like the the hardest conversations you ever have are about your own feelings. Yeah. Yeah. But people make movies about them instead. So I don't have to. (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. Are there other movies? Like I, I can't really think of any movies that, um, that are similar in like exploring that. You know that that thing of when you like you think you, you think your relationship's developing, but it's not. I mean, there must be a lot more out there. I'm sure there are. I'm the. the... There's, I don't know that you could build a movie on that alone. You just, and I'm sure people are listening to this and screaming the titles of their favorite films, <laughs> yeah. which is always a danger, but yeah, it's so specific. And so I think so despairing that I don't know that you'd even be able to sell it. Who would you, mm. who, why would you want to go and see that story told if you had it happen to you, if you felt it? Right. Um, Rushmore. Rushmore does it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Although we're also supposed to be very, very, conscious that it isn't going to happen yeah it's the the it's the complete incompatibility um and then the the resolution of it which is that amazing olivia williams monologue it's like would you, would you tell your friends you fucked me and it's right. just devastating I, I saw that i saw that at tiff so i saw that with a press screening of maybe 300 people um who had not you know this is before wes anderson was wes anderson it was it was a mm. huge revelation to me that that movie and i remember watching an entire room full of ooh and just feeling it so powerfully and that's yeah. not what rushmore i mean it is what rushmore is about but it's not the the a plot yeah. um, and it's just devastating i don't know that you could i don't know that i would survive watching an entire movie of that relationship exclusively With what about lost in translation kind of but that's one of like that's sympathy again, right? Like it's people mm. who, who know they aren't together, just being right. friends. I think if it, if it got sexual, it would be too weird. Yeah. The yeah. Grace. I guess it's kind of like just as an audience member, you kind of think about it and you wonder is something more going to happen, but 
I don't think they, the characters do. Yeah. It's just, that's just about clinging to each other and emotionally for support, but mm. not going to bed, like never taking it any further and, and having both characters, I think be self-possessed enough to know that it wouldn't work. Yeah. Yeah. But what happens in, yeah, what happens in Secret Sunshine and what happens in Islands is that we're just, we're given the possibility of happiness if the characters are brave enough to take that chance. That's where Secret Sunshine ends. Islands, I think, is leaning yeah. in that direction. And yeah. that's that's the best way out because we don't have to deal with the messiness of it as an audience. Mm-hmm. And that's what anybody wants from a story. You just want to go home with a good feeling that everything's going to be okay. Yeah. It's the reassurance we don't get in life. Yeah. And um, where do you, um, what's your favorite Lee Chang Dong film? Ooh, maybe it's just because the impact is more recent, but I think burning feels right. like a culmination. Mm. It feels like the mastery of the thing he's doing. The, the sense of, on a camera that doesn't judge and just empathizes and just follows characters through whatever their personal torments are. Poetry is really beautiful and Mm -hmm. secret sunshine is ecstatic in parts, but I think burning is the one that, and maybe it's just because it's about younger characters who aren't defined yet. Nobody has any established relationships. There's nothing that you can hang your expectations onto at the beginning, at the Mm. outset. I mean, Mm -hmm. even um, even in in Secret Sunshine, Shanae is introduced as a widow and a mother, and those those come with things. Those come with elements that we have to protect or or root for. And Burning is just about three strangers, really. So it's somehow more open and ambiguous. And then the more ambiguous it gets, the the more interesting it becomes. And I yeah, but I don't know. They're all great. Like he's really good at what he does. I haven't seen Greenfish yeah. in about twenty five years. Maybe I need to take another look at that. Or twenty three, yeah. however old it is. What is it? Ninety eight, ninety nine. I think so. Yeah. I saw it when it played, and then not since. I'd love to dig it up and see what it, see if it holds up. Yeah, burning, burning didn't work for me the first time I saw it. Like oh, yeah, the the ambiguity was a bit much for me. But when I rewatched it, I. I really, really loved it the second time. And I think the first time I watched it, I was at TIFF and it, I don't know, sometimes watching films at TIFF works for me. Sometimes it's hard because, you know, you're, you're running from theater to theater and everything becomes a blur. And yeah, the, the onslaught of it does make it hard to just relax into a film. Yeah. So and I find that happens a lot when I rewatch things that I saw at a festival. It's, it's a totally different experience. Yep. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Especially if it's the only film, you, and if Burning is a film you see among four other movies on either side of it, that's that's no way to to experience that movie. Yeah, and I think I think it was it was the kind of thing where I you know jammed four movies in a day or something like that. Yeah, I think I would have seen it just before. It was it was definitely on its own day, maybe on its own evening, okay. and that really played that worked for me. And then I watched it again in December, just before we voted at the TFCA, and mm. that sort of clarified everything. Just the the just the the beauty of the ambivalence and the way he handles class too which doesn't really come up in secret sunshine but the 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 economic barriers that are operating throughout burning and the things that remove people from each other even before people are taken away yeah um that 
seems like something again it feels like a novelist's work right there there he really has a sense for someone who is so gifted with film he's he's already refined his sense of building a narrative and how to interlock elements and how to weave those things together just so smoothly and beautifully it's it's really been remarkable to watch him figure out his thing in real time and the, the fact that he takes so much time between movies yeah that doesn't seem to like he's become in a weird way, he's like the Korean Kubrick in that every time he makes a movie, it's going to be a leveling up of strategy and intention, but also it'll still be good. Yeah. And I, I also, for me, like, I love the stylist kind of auteur and he's probably one of the few that I feel isn't, you know, like he, he doesn't need to have the Lee Chang Dong style. Like he doesn't have to be an auteur, but it's just such strong storytelling um, you know, like his, the, the choices in camera work and the editing, like it's all like very conventional, but it's almost because of that. It's so powerful. Yeah. His aesthetic is no aesthetic. Yeah. It's just yeah. observational or it yeah. feels like it is at the best of times, but then yeah. you have those, you have scenes like burnings, just beautiful, strange scene, the, the sun, the, the, the daybreak sequence, the, uh, mm. that just that gorgeous weird removal from i mean it's it's happening it's real but it feels almost surreal when it does happen mm -hmm. and you you have to wonder if you're seeing someone's dream right and then you just go back to the mundane existence almost immediately it's shattered and it's 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 so great just yeah. these um the same way that the same way the last shot of secret sunshine just stops everything it stops your breath there are films I've watched where I remember clenching up as the final shot is happening, hoping that it's the final shot because if the movie blows mm. past it, yeah, it's gonna it's just going to be lesser. Yeah. And this was one of those. This I remember seeing it in a screening room and just holding my breath to see if it was going to be the out, if this was the statement. And it was. And then you just you feel this rush. Mm. I love mm. that. Yeah. Never happens. <laughs> or if it does it's orchestrated with music pounding and then you know you just go out and you cut to black it's the thing that, that christopher nolan does where he orchestrates yeah. an ending that feels like you're still hurtling forwards this is the absolute opposite the moment where it's okay to leave yeah the story is told the characters will persist but it's over for you and, and that's all right yeah yeah I and mean, i wonder when we're going to see another film from him burning was 2018 we're probably due for I think a couple was, of years. Is he still writing? Like, has he continued as an author? I don't actually know. I don't think if he is, I don't think it's being translated. Hmm. We've sort of talked about the parallels, the, the thematic and emotional parallels, but is there anything specific from Secret Sunshine that you've lifted or borrowed or quoted or, or outright stolen uh, for your own work? No, not really. I think just generally, you know, influenced by by how humor was used in such a heavy movie and you know maybe a little bit of mr kim is in joshua i mean very little but um no it, it's a movie like when i think about great screenwriting um for some reason it's always secret sunshine and a separation they're like the two movies i always think of um I mean, I know there are so many other well-written movies out there, but um, they're the two that have, I don't know, I guess, um, 
for whatever reason resonated with me the most. And, and I think about the writing of those two movies so often. And they're both about people on moral quests mm-hmm. in a way as, as I'm trying to stitch them together, but they're people who are just trying to start new lives and either are or aren't punished for the decisions they make, depending on your point of view and, and where you place your morality. Islands is about someone whose life hasn't started yet, mm-hmm. but he'll get there. Yeah, he'll get there. My thanks to Martin Edgerlin, whose new film Islands is screening in Toronto at Tiff Bell Lightbox tonight through Thursday. If you catch tonight's show, you'll see a Q&A with Martin, producer Priscilla Galvez, and co-star Esteban Comalang, moderated by Living Hyphen's Justine Abigail Yu. Thanks also to Jessica Schulman. She knows what she did. Martin's not on Twitter, but you can follow Islands the Movie, all one word, and you can find Secret Sunshine on Blu-ray and DVD in the Criterion Collection. It's also streaming on the Criterion channel and available to rent or buy on most VOD platforms. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. And of course, the first year of the podcast is still available for just $20 at payhip.com slash Semcast. That's 52 episodes, 46 of which are not available to stream anywhere. Please check it out. Payhip.com slash Semcast. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. Get your booster when you can. I'll see you next time.